You're listening to the Presence Pioneers Podcast. Well, on today's podcast episode, we have Dr. Jason Hubbard. We're so excited to have him with us today. He is the director of the International Prayer Connect, which is a worldwide coalition of over 4,000 Christian prayer networks and organizations who are mobilizing and equipping prayer across the world to see blessing, healing, and transformation of the nations. And so we're so excited to talk to Jason and hear about what God's doing all over the world and mobilizing prayer. I've also heard that he's passionate about the Moravians, and so I think we're going to talk a little bit about the Moravians today and see what we can learn from that amazing historic prayer movement as well. Before we dive in with Jason, I just want to welcome anybody that's tuning in for the first time. Thank you for checking us out. Uh, The Presence Pioneers podcast exists to equip you to host the presence of God through day and night worship and prayer, because we believe God's presence changes everything. And so we release new content every Thursday. It's either going to be an interview and a conversation like what we're having today with Jason, uh, or it's going to be a short little Bible teaching from myself on topics like worship, prayer, missions, revival. These are the things that we're very passionate about here on the podcast. So please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're checking us out on today. I'd also encourage you to visit our website at presencepioneers.org. We have our entire podcast archive up there, over 90 episodes at this point. You can search by keyword and topic. You can get audio, video, the show notes. It's all up there on our website. And you can also make a donation up there if you'd like to support our podcast. We don't have any ads or sponsors at this point. And the podcast is totally funded by our amazing, generous Presence Pioneers partners who we're so thankful for. All right. Well, without further ado, Jason Hubbard, welcome to the podcast. Wonderful. Great to be here, brother. It's awesome to have you. Yeah. Well, give give us a quick introduction of who who you are, a little bit about your ministry uh, for those who may not be familiar with you. Let me just say this on the front end, uh, and you didn't ask me to say this, but just to give a little plug for your book on the tabernacle, absolutely <laughs> loving this. <laughs> thank oh, thank you, you. We're getting this out all over the world. So what a gift to the body of Christ. Mm. So love your leadership for this nation and the worship and prayer movement around the world. So it's an honor to be here. Yeah, just a little bit about me. Married 29 years. I have three kids. My oldest is married, and we have three grandbabies. And one on the way, like within weeks. So we're excited about that. Wow. I uh, studied spiritual theology and church history in the 90s and got my master's up at Regent College, uh, mentored by James Houston, one of the premier theologians of prayer uh, <clears throat> around the world today. And then I got hired at Christ the King, a church here in Bellingham, Washington, a couple hours north of Seattle, and started Doing small group ministry, prayer ministry, uh, was a preaching, teaching pastor there as well. Uh, we were a pretty good-sized church, about 2,000 at that time. Bellingham's about 100,000. We're a campus town, so we've got about 20,000 college kids here. That sounds almost identical to my hometown, Greenville, North Carolina. It's about okay. 90,000. We've got East Carolina University, about 20,000 students. Yes, yeah. sir. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Everybody leaves in the summer, you know, and then they all come back. And, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Exactly. You know, we're like a mini Seattle, so not a lot of churches and Christians yet, but we're praying for them. Yeah, so when I started out, I studied prayer, but the ironic thing was is I was a prayerless pastor, and we were a prayerless church. And so the Lord took us on a journey, uh, doing a lot of good things. We were, you know, your basic outreach church and 
purpose-driven church, but a little shallow on discipleship, <laughs> good Bible teaching, good worship. But people come in the front door, go right out the back door. <laughs> we didn't grow any from 2000 to 2007. And I remember a moment in 2007 in our prayer room, and the Lord spoke to me, and he asked me the question, Jason, do you think you can do this better than me? And I was like, wow. <laughs> I got confronted with my own pride and uh, flesh, I think. Well, not, not saying that on the rest of the pastors, but at least in my life. Doing so many things, you know, we would like come up with a great idea, a biblical idea. And then we'd sort of invite God into it to bless him. Right. And he said, Jason, I want you to get back in that prayer room. And I want you to ask me what I ask you to ask me. Tell me what I tell you to tell me. And then I'll do it. Um, <laughs> yeah. The Lord led us then into a time of repentance as pastors. And we started uh, shifting our pastor's times and do more prayer. And, yeah, just a really special time. And then God gave us this prayer strategy in our church to s- establish 24-7 uh, prayer, praise, and worship. And so we asked people to sign up for an hour of prayer once a week to pray for the church. Those that are about to come, preach on Luke 18, two weekends in a row. You know, mention yeah. always pray and not give up. And when we pray day and night, God would release his justice and make wrong things right. And so we just took him in his word. Amazing. I didn't think anybody would sign up, but we had 220 people sign up. Just crazy awesome. A couple months later, this is in 2007, uh, it would have been in the summer months. The Holy Spirit came in a powerful way, responded to these people praying. Mm. 360 people get baptized, saved. We grew by a thousand people in a year. And then we had 20 churches in the Northwest. It was just phenomenal. And we weren't doing anything different. I mean, it, you know, it was the same programs and unanointed preaching, which is mine. <laughs> but God's <laughs> people were praying. It was under this canopy of. United prayer and the Lord was doing, you know, measurably more than what we could ever ask or imagine. That's amazing. I I like to say sometimes, you know, there's a difference between adding prayer to your agenda and letting prayer set your agenda. And so I think it's that where you have your agenda, your plan, and then you ask God and pray and God bless it. Instead of starting with prayer and saying, God, let everything I do flow from the place of your presence and from the place of, of how you're leading and speaking and guiding us from the place of prayer. So good. Yeah. Sounds yeah. like you guys made that transition and we did. Yeah. And then it was cool with that. You know, it's still weak and broken, but, <laughs> but yeah, God answers prayer, you know, from weak people. Yes. These were normal yeah. Christians too, you know, just single moms and house workers and, you know, uh, construction guys. I mean, you know, yep. that was what was uh, special. I think at the local church level, just to see regular families praying together. Um, what we did then was we asked other churches to take a day of prayer once a month. And so they would yeah. do 24 hours in their church. By 2009, we had 30 churches. So we had this canopy of 24-7 prayer now, local church-based. And then we set up these teams in the marketplace. So we had key kingdom-minded business guys, educators, you know, each of the different uh, spheres of culture they would feed us prayer points of things that they sensed were on the Father's heart for transformation. And we would pray into those things in a way that's specific and measurable so that if we, if God answered these, we would know it. And then we would yeah. see God answer and we would send out a praise report. So it's really neat. And you know, this is real small ministry here at this point, but it was a sustainable and reproducible model. 
And then yeah. in 2009, so in 2009, January, we were a 24-7. guy named Trey Kent I was doing the same strategy in Austin, Texas. Yeah, um, yeah we, we had Trey on the podcast before. So we'll link to that episode in, in the show notes. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. We've never met each other. Yeah. It's like, so that's kind of cool. And then um, 2010, I stepped out and we started a citywide house of prayer where we had people coming from different churches now in corporate prayer meetings, worship meetings. Um, so and we're probably well, maybe 80 hours a week consistently over about a 12 year period. 2017, I went to Herrenhut, Germany, and that's where I met John Robb, who was the founder of International Prayer Connect for Council. Okay. So got some mentoring from him, worked with him as kind of a number two guy for several years. And then this last year in December, he retired, stepped down and passed the baton to me and we put together a new executive team and, so that's kind of what I'm doing now, full time. Amazing. Working on yeah. prayer in the nation. So kind of hoping, you know, what God did here in a little way, God might uh, yes. be able to put that blueprint in different cities all over the world. So really believe Amen. that Jesus is worthy of 24-7 worship saturated prayer. So hallelujah. Yes. Come on. Amen. Well, now that you're connected with this International Prayer Connect, this International Prayer Council, four or 5,000 ministries are connected to what you guys are doing what are you seeing just like from your big picture perspective in terms of prayer in the nations? What's happening? What's brewing? What's stirring? Kind of what's happening right now, 2021, with prayer across the world from your perspective? Awesome. Yeah, it's been amazing. Maybe just a little bit about International Prayer Connect. Um, so we've, yeah. we've got 25 leaders in 17 different nations. Each of these leaders have international, regional ministries and networks of prayer and worship folks. And we're based in 12 different regions around the world. And I would say uh, our 20-year history is coming up here in December. So over that time frame, uh, John Robb, the founder with a lot of these leaders, put together all kinds of international prayer events. One of the highlights was in 2012 in Jakarta was the World Prayer Assembly. They had 9,500 leaders come from all over the world three or four days to learn from the Indonesians wow. and their church, because they're probably the most praying nation today. Indonesia. Yeah. The things that we heard in the United Prayer Network that they have is just phenomenal. I mean, it's breathtaking. <laughs> uh, I mean, just one little piece, like they've got a hundred prayer towers like IHOPs that go 24 seven filled up with children. And I mean, this is the largest Muslim nation in the world. And you've got these hundred twenty-four <laughs> towers going around the clock, praying for their Incredible. cities. A lot of them up in these uh, prayer towers, they call them business leaders all the way up. And at the top would be a, a prayer room. And the marketplace guys, wow. families, people would head up there and pray. So it was really special. And across denominations, generations, uh, denominations, they're coming together in unity. A massive children's prayer network too. A couple hundred thousand children that are uh, learning to hear God's voice and pray God's word. and Just so exciting. So we went there. Uh, just to give you the scope of it. So 9,500 of us from the nations. But then we gathered with the Indonesians on May 17th. This is 2012. In a soccer stadium in Jakarta. 120,000 there. And then they had... 385 other stadiums in Indonesia filled up with people, you know, some of these 10,000 oh and live streamed four hour prayer meeting, all in unity and agreement. 
on the same day. I mean, it was, <laughs> they figured maybe two to three million people praying. That's amazing. In, in a united way for the gospel. Uh, so just powerful. But yeah, yeah. IPC has been facilitating those kinds of things. I mean, not all at that level, but yeah. And then 2017 got shifted us a little bit more to praying for the unreached and for gospel movements in unreached areas around the world. And we got connected a little bit with the story of the Moravians. I'll share that later, maybe here. But uh, we had 120 leaders come from 34 nations and honor this Moravian lampstand, that story. And then what would look like, what would it look like today in our different networks to see a modern day expression of, you know, 24 seven prayer connected to mission, uh, united together in love for one another. So, so maybe fast forward till today, just incredible. What's, what's, what's happening. I, I don't even really have words for it. <laughs> During COVID we've seen both the prayer movement come together at a global level more than I've ever seen before. And uh, the missions leaders also really beginning to connect and work together. Uh, so this last spring, we facilitated a gathering on May 1st and we host uh, IHOP hosted in Kansas city. And then we broadcast this through God TV. We connected with churches all throughout the middle East, China, Indonesia, uh, Brazil, Nigeria, all over the world. When we figure when all the numbers kind of came in, about about 70 million people united in prayer on that day. Amazing. And, you know, our vision had been for this, this was a year ago. So this was our second kind of May 1st Global Day of Prayer, was to raise up 100 million in united prayer to see a billion soul harvest, uh, you know, people coming into the kingdom by 2030. It was that you know massive vision. <laughs> so yeah. So the first year we were actually about thirty million, and this is because of all these. It's not because of me, but all these networks, you know, working together in prayer. Um, yeah. Said, hey, let's jump in and do this as one global family. And there's even more than that around the world. This is a, a historic moment, I believe, for the church, where we're seeing prayer and house of prayers and prayer movements, you know, all over, like we haven't seen in church history before. So it's just neat to have a little window into this, at least in our world. But yeah, so I think the first year we were at, we were at 30 million and then, you know, got up to 70. So maybe next year we can get to 100. We'll see. Uh, but we yeah. did got all the credit and we were praying for gospel movements in China and the Middle East and India. It's kind of our focus. Through that, kind of a year and a half on the mission side of how God's answering prayer, um, just to encourage folks listening today that God is responding to your prayers. I really want to say that and your worship Come on. saturated prayer. So I, I'll just give you one movement and there's a bunch of these. So this is just one and I can't give you names and a lot of details, but um, one of the ones that we've been partnering with in prayer uh, in the beginning of 2020, just before COVID hit, they had about 2 million house churches Okay, in their in their network, and that's most some of the hardest places in the world. So this would be Middle East, North Africa, uh, Indonesia, and some in China. Okay, two million then, which that in of itself is massive. These are yeah. churches that are multiplying four generations. But in a year and a half of prayer, they just got the numbers in this summer. A year and a half of prayer, just massive prayer. You know, praying. They're praying as well, of course, on the ground in their house churches. But uh, they saw. 3 million house churches now. So a million added in a year and a half. And then 20 Incredible. million new Jesus followers building these houses. I mean, that that's in, in revival terms. That That's in that category. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is like amazing. 
So yeah, yeah. God's moving. That's the amazing. Forth, people are praying. So many more things to share, but just want to encourage people. You know, the urgency of this hour. It's like God is calling His house, His people, to be a house of prayer and a house of prayer for all nations. And that is going to be our identity at the end of the age. So, yeah. amen, amen. so good. That's encouraging. That's awesome. We just had Dick Eastman on the podcast too. And he was, he was telling us about how when COVID first hit, they weren't sure exactly what was going to happen and how this was going to impact missions. And it turns out that a lot of people's hearts were opened to the gospel because there was so much, you know, in the midst of the crisis, people were desperate, they were feeling needy and they were crying out to God and reaching out to God. And so we're seeing this amazing uh, harvest that's coming as, as people are, you know, realizing they need Jesus in the midst of it all. So that's, that's incredibly encouraging. You know, we, we had a conversation uh, a while back and you made a comment. I wanted to just, I wanted to pick at a little bit and see, see your thoughts on it. I don't want to misquote you, but I think you said something, uh, you know, regarding the emerging generation, the young generation, that they're passionate about worship mm. and music, but maybe aren't catching prayer and intercession quite as much. I mean, a, a lot of the prayer movements are typically older people. Uh, even a lot of houses of prayer now, it's been 20 years since I helped start over 20 years. So a lot of even the young adults that were involved, many of them are getting older. So something that's on my heart is how do we see the next generation engaged in prayer, excited about worship and prayer in the presence of God and all this kind of thing. I know you were also served for a year on a college campus, so you're probably around some young people and young students. So am I getting it right that you, your sense was that young people tend to gravitate toward worship, but maybe you're having a harder time catching a heart for prayer? And if so, any idea why that might be the case? Yeah, I think that's really true, at least in our nation. Yeah, right. I can just speak on, on behalf of uh, our house of prayer here in Bellingham for years, and then also down at Arizona Christian University, we started a campus prayer room there. But it's really a campus worship room. <laughs> right, right. You know, we would we call you call a prayer meeting and you get like four or five kids will show up. But if you call them a music worship night, they'll go two, three hours. Yeah. And they love it, you know. Right. So, oh, yeah. yeah. So I think that's true. And I don't think that's a bad thing either. I think this is a beautiful no. thing that God's doing. And I think in part, I mean, this is a reflecting on this, maybe two things, just the perception of prayer to young people. You know, they may have been in a, a prayer meeting with some, you know, church folks and it was boring. You know, they didn't quite get it. Maybe not really know how to pray or what to say. Uh, maybe a little nervous about people that are like really powerful prayers and they don't really have the words yet. And, you know, that can be intimidating for young people, I think. Or anybody, really. It can be intimidating. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And a, and a little bit, you know, I wouldn't say programmatic, but... I think what's attractive, I guess, to young people when it comes to music and worship is it's it's more enjoyable. You know, it's in a place where they're doing something together. There's corporate agreement in that. And it, and it creates a great environment where there can be an encounter with God. You know, I think that scripture speaks to that too, right? That God inhabits the praise of his people and responds to us. He's enthroned as king, you know as we lift up our, our voices because of his worth. Um, I think the other piece, too, is that is that uh, at least the music that we have today, which I love, I mean, sometimes I'm, I'm trying to push a little more for a little more God-exalting songs, <laughs> and that's certainly yeah. their hearts. But 
But there is another reality where I think this generation is so broken. You know, there's a lot of abandonment, rejection, even abuse, broken homes. And so I think young people are really searching for that place of family, intimacy with God, you know, really connecting to the heart of the Father and His love. And I think the music today really is is good for that. Like it, it's it's like almost it's almost an invitation to turn our songs and our and our prayers into more of a real interaction with God instead of we're not just agreeing with who God is and and that's most important, but but it's actually we're encountering him and who he wants to be to us now. Does that make sense? And he's coming to heal and set us free and, and bring hope. And so I think that's kind of what's going on a little bit. And I, I think it's a creative generation. I think we're made for that. Uh, and just the, the place of like, it doesn't have to be so programmatic and planned out. And we can have space, you know, to meet with God and, and, and lift our cries to Him in, in a way that's a little bit more enjoyable maybe than your typical church service, you know. <laughs> right, so. definitely, definitely. For, for me, you know, I'm, I'm a worship leader, musician, and my gateway into prayer was music and worship. Mm-hmm. And for me, I music and worship was a way to cultivate intimacy with God, yeah. relationship with God. But as I spent time with the Lord, he began to give me his heart, <laughs> you know, the break my heart for what breaks yours thing. And, and those things that the people that he loved, that began to grow in my heart. And then the natural overflow of that for me was to begin to pray uh, and to begin to cry out, you know, or even my longing to see my friends and others encounter God the way I had encountered God. I, and, and that prayer and intercession begins to well up inside of me as an overflow of worship and prayer. So maybe the Lord is is setting up a generation to get get in his presence, get healed up, enjoy him, and and he can give them his heart and they can begin to partner with him in that. Is there, is there anything you're, you've seen that Maybe I'm thinking of if we've got somebody that's trying to gather people to worship and pray in their city, they want to get the 18, 19, 20-year-old to come and enjoy their prayer, worship, revival meeting, or their burn, or their house prayer, whatever. Have you, have you, have you seen anything that seems to work? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you guys are doing it, I think. I love the tentative <laughs> um, You know, yeah. don't call a prayer meeting first. Call uh, right. An encounter God meeting or, you know, an ignite gathering or, you know, I think something yeah. like that where, hey, we're going to get in the presence of the Lord and wait on him and and hear from him yeah. and sing our love songs to him, I think is a great strategy. So call it worship night. But then what you could do is in the middle of that time of worship and praise, you know, there'll be moments where, you know, the, the, the song or the music might come down a bit and encourage them to get in groups of three or four and just start to pray for one another. You know, and and in that prayer too, it doesn't have to be you know here's my prayer request, but just have them lift up their prayer, and then people agree with that. You know, lay hands on each other and just um, contend for one another in prayer and intercession. Just lift up that simple ask. Yeah, and that's what we found is working at ACU. It's been neat to have you know encounter God nights. Uh, you know, two, three, four hours. It's mostly song, but then there's those moments right. of hey, let's have a, a repentance moment. We get on our knees or. Let's get in groups of three or four and just pray for each other or pray for our campus or college kids around the nation um, and just let the Lord kind of lead it from there. Uh, give You know, it's good to give a little bit of prayer leadership to us, some prayer prompts, you know, and some different things to, to get them on board. But 
I kind of find, if I could maybe summarize it this way, when you're envisioning these things with young people, I found three things really opens up the heart. One, the idea of encountering God, like you just mentioned, I think is so key. Number two would be uh, to find family. They're searching for that. And this is a place to find family, make it a safe place, make it a place where you can be real and authentic. And there's others there that don't have their act together, come with our brokenness, we can confess and, and uh, it's safe. And then third would be find your purpose, discover your calling. So those are three things we use at AC. It really, I think, opens up hearts for young people and wrap that all around that worship and prayer environment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Uh, really helpful. Thank you, Jason, for that. Hey, guys, this is Matthew. We'll get back to the episode in just a moment. If you're enjoying the podcast, Please consider joining Presence Pioneers Premium, our brand new subscriber community. Paid subscribers will get exclusive premium content, such as bonus podcast episodes, exclusive articles, early releases, and more. Presence Pioneers will be releasing its first e-course in 2024 with many more to come. And the Presence Pioneers Premium subscribers will always have full access to the entire library of online courses. Visit media.presencepioneers.org or click the link in the description to join today. You can become a premium member today for an introductory price of only $5 a month. When the price goes up in the future, as our library of resources grows, you can stay subscribed at the original price. If you've enjoyed our podcast for a while, becoming a premium member is a simple way for you to help us cover the cost of producing this podcast and partner with Presence Pioneers in equipping the church with resources for day and night prayer, prophetic worship, missions, and revival. Visit media.presencepioneers.org to sign up today. Well, while we're kind of speaking to leaders or those who maybe want to become leaders or those, you know, visionaries uh, who have, have desire in their heart to see revival transformation in their city or on their campus, do you have any advice for just, I mean, you've, you've kind of been around this prayer leadership world for a while now. If there's somebody that's just burning in their heart, they say, oh man, I want to see something happen. I want to host a night of worship. I want to host a prayer time. I want to see revival. I guess one, one way I like to phrase this question sometimes is like, if you could go back, Jason, and tell yourself something 15, 20 years ago, what advice would you give yourself, you know? Yeah, yes, sir. Awesome. Well, build relationally, I would say, number one. Um, and let me start just with yourself, me included. <laughs> We've got to cultivate private time with the Lord just us and him when no one else is looking how are we spending our time and really the best way to do this is to get in the bible i just we've got to pray the word of god we're going to sing the word of god uh, meditate and just consume and eat it um get get into the text until the text gets into you right a little less time on you know in the chat rooms and and start getting into the prayer room you know here i heard that from Corey russell I, yeah. It's so true. Like, like, you, so that's first, and that is that relational place. But then I would say, when you're working with others in in maybe a, a young adult ministry in your city, other churches, 
find ones that are like your tribe and and go to them to serve first. So don't come with, hey, I've got this agenda, I've got this vision, but come alongside them and what they're doing. And how can I love you? How can I serve you? How can I carry your bags? Um, and it's just so critical. I, I, I think that when we do that, then we earn their trust. It's always, you know, especially for young people, you want to serve another man or another woman's vision and be faithful in that. Because in that place, then, that favor, that anointing will rest on you. And the Lord can entrust you now with stewardship of bringing others together with the vision, fresh vision that God's put on your heart, the dream on your heart. So I would say, you know, everywhere you can serve somebody else's vision, just love them, pray for them and not expect anything in return either. And I think that's, that's a key piece. I would say the other thing too, is build based on family. Um, I've learned this, you know, I, I, there's a lot of great leadership principles out there, structures, things we can learn from. And I honor all of this, but I think in our day, we have got to come together as family. It's got to flow first out of the Father's house of prayer and us growing in that, you know, as, as beloved sons and daughters of a good father, you know, we're empowered with the spirit of adoption is upon us, but you know, that Abba cry, but also in that let's, let's learn how to do life together, hear each other's stories, listen to each other, be there when we're broken, know each other's kids and families. And, you know, that stuff matters. It's, it's not like we're trying to do something outside of this, right? It's all about <laughs> entering into the God's forever family, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And, yeah. and then the mark of that really is love for one another. And I just can't, I wish I would have done more of that, even in our church and built from that place of family. So I, I think that's key. That's so good. Yeah. yeah. That's great. That's, that's really helpful. It, I'm going to shift the topic unless you have anything else you want to add to that. Maybe just one more thing. And I, yeah, go for it. <laughs> this is a tension, I think, in the prayer movement a bit. Uh, but I would say get in a good local church. <laughs> uh, I'm a pastor. Yeah. I've been a pastor for years. And I so, you know, it doesn't matter what that looks like and when you meet and where you meet and all that kind of stuff. But, guys, we need each other. Jesus mm. has called us. And this is what he's doing. He is building his church, his ecclesia. Yeah. And so just as a, as a young person, you know, got to get with a group of people and use your gifts and be accountable and give finances and serve um, and grow in a, in a biblical, you know, Bible-based, Christ-exalting, gospel-driven, worship-fed, spirit-led local church. <laughs> you know, Come on. The, my IPC community is not my local church, right? I mean, we are the church and they're my family, but I have to be with a group of people that know me well. They're with me. I walk with them life on life in real time in my city. And it doesn't matter how many and how big and all those kind of things. But I, if I could just say that to a young generation, especially God's favor will rest on you when you get rightly aligned to his people in a church. Hallelujah. I, I, I totally agree. I totally agree with you on that. I believe it's wisdom. And so I'd encourage everyone to to heed that that advice as well. And your house that to be, be a local church, you know, certainly. Right. Uh, sure. But it needs to be a church. I mean, if you're gonna call yourself a church, then do church, you know. You could be right. a house of yeah. prayer without being a local church as well. But then you need to be in a local church, you know. So, you know, so I think it's important. One way or another. Well, I did want to bring up the Moravians. I know we're a little bit all over the place today, but 
I, I love the story of the Moravians. I've heard you're passionate about the story of the Moravians. You mentioned it earlier in terms of how it influenced some of the shaping of the International Prayer Connect, I think, as well. Yeah, just give you some space, man. Talk about the Moravians. A lot of people know, know who they are. They'll at least know the Moravians did 24-7 prayer for 100 years, mm-hmm. which is amazing. But yeah. give, give, us some of the, give us some of the story and why you love it so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen. Well, I would say this, just to start, Zinzendorf was a young man and a young leader when God called him. Even from a young age at the university, he was going to start a seven praying societies, 24-7 prayer happening all, all over. But what really got his heart, I think, was he was um, visiting a museum in Dusseldorf and had an encounter with Jesus crucified. Saw a picture up on the uh, painting up on the wall, and you know the blood dripping down, you know the crown of thorns on his head, and she stares at this thing. It's a couple of hours. Some of the testimonies say things that I've read about it. Falls to his knees at one point, and basically gives his life. He was already about prayer, but he gave his life now to mission as well. Mm. It had a little caption at the bottom and said, "This is what I've done for you. What will you do for me?" And he had had a love for the Savior and had a love for prayer all the way up to this point. He's a he's a teenager now, maybe a young adult. I don't know the exact age, but but it was this point is, is he was convicted with what I've actually done for you in terms of the gospel and mission, evangelism, church plan, that kind of stuff. So that had a real encounter on him. Um, and and you know we've heard the phrase right, "May the Lamb who is slain receive the due reward for his sufferings." This marked him for the cross and the wounds of the lamb. And from then on, he would meditate. He would write songs about the lamb, the blood of Jesus. He would uh, preach on this in his sermons that is saturated with the cross. I think that's a real key and, and purpose or motivation behind what the Moravians were all about. It motivated their prayer and their mission and their unit. So fast forward, right? We've got these, you know, 200, 300 uh, Bohemian Moravians, they're fleeing persecution. They come from kind of modern-day Czech Republic. They come and they land in this small little village called Herrenhut. Zinzendorf actually lived in Berdelsdorf, which is maybe a 15-minute walk from there, so real close. But he owned this estate. And Herrenhut means it's like a double meaning. Uh, the word picture is kind of like a hat so like a, or a canopy. But it was this idea of God was watching over the people, this community. God was calling them to stand watch before the Lord in worship and in prayer. You know, they landed there about 1722. Christian David had brought several families over. A lot of cost involved in all this, but these families were willing to sacrifice. And they end up, uh, you know, 1722 to about 1727. A lot of friction, you know, fighting, the false teaching, <laughs> couldn't get along, didn't know how to love each other, which is true for a lot of people that try to live together. <laughs> and right, just, yeah. You know, building this little community, and uh, it, was just, it was just a disaster, you know, like it didn't work. <laughs> so Zinzendorf catches wind of this, and he goes home to home and pleads with these families to get right with one another, to release their bitterness and forgive uh, those that had offended them and the, the, were the places of division. And, and how he would do that is he would preach Jesus and then crucify, and he would bring him back to the cross. 
you know, all of it, none of us are deserving of anything in the grace of God. And so this began some of that work. And, and again, this is what I love about this, right? It's home to home. It's family to family. It's coming clean with our stuff. It's coming back to the place of the cross and repentance. And so as this was happening, the Spirit of God began to draw them together. They signed what's called the Brotherly Agreement in May. And that started this process of what they would call the Summer of Revival. So through that summer, a lot of prayer meetings happening, reconciliation moments, all the way up to August 13th. And amazing story, even the night before the outpouring of the Spirit, which they call the Moravian Pentecost on the, on August 13th, there's a, there's children that were up on the Hootburg, this little hill that kind of oversees Herondir, this little village. And these children were crying out through the night, travailing in prayer to the point wow. that people in the village could hear them pray for them. And so this whole story, if I can say this, I think was birthed with the children's prayer movement. Um, wow, I didn't young, know that. Yeah, powerful. Zinzendorf had been discipling them, you know, over the course of a couple of years and just pouring into them mm. God's word. And then God's spirit began to, to move them to prayer and to repentance. Great stories there. I can send you some stuff on this if you're interested. But Yeah. But August 13th, they're walking down to Berdelsdorf to this Lutheran church and going to come together for a communion service. They're still pretty divided at this point, even to the point that they were walking on two different sides of the road to get to the service, which is a painful reality when you're going to a communion service. <laughs> so they get there. Zinzendorf knows this, preaches again on the cross, communion message, Last Supper, hallelujah. And, and it starts with repentance. He pleads with them again. We, God will not unless, you know, come powerfully unless we get right with one another. And reconciliation happened there. It's kind of the first step. In fact, today they call the church the church of reconciliation because that's really oh, what happened. Oh. Uh, they were learning to love one another. And then as that began to happen, as they were repenting, the Spirit of God poured out in power. They called it like a baptism of love. The love of God was shed in their hearts by the Holy Spirit, poured out in love for one another. Awesome. <laughs> so good. A couple of weeks later, Zinzendorf's reading in Leviticus 6, you know, 13, talks about that the fire should never go out. It should always remain on the altar, This these fires of intercession, prayer, worship, because of the sacrifice of Christ, of the Son of God on the cross, because of him and his work. We should respond then with 24-7 adoration, unceasing prayer, like the pattern that we see in heaven. So, you know, they started out just a handful. They had, you know, 24 men, 24 women. Uh, several of those were children. They signed up to pray an hour a day. It's called hourly intercession. You know, six to seven, seven to eight, eight to nine. And a couple of them, it wasn't in a particular location, so they were praying in different homes. But this canopy of united prayer was birthed, and like you mentioned, went for 100 years. What most people don't know is it was actually a worship uh, worship singing community as well. Zinzendorf uh, would, two things he would do. First, they would go up and they would sing in the mornings before they would go to work and the kids would go to school. And then they would come back together again as a whole community and sing hymns as well. So morning and evening, they were singing. And then the rest of the hours, these hourly prayer, they would pray for their community, for other communities, and eventually for missionaries that were sent out. Zinzendorf would get them together once a week as well, all the people that signed up for the prayer, the hour of the intercession, and he would give them what was called a watchword. 
it would be a scripture, a prophetic sense about what God was doing and some real time, you know, stuff that they needed to pray for in the community. And every week they would gather in corporate community to hear how should we pray. They would pray together corporately and then they would go back about their business. So in the midst of this canopy, as we know, first 24-7 Protestant worship saturated prayer movement that we are yeah. that we're aware of. There may be of others, but these are the ones we know about in church history. Uh, it led to the first missions movement, right? And so God began to mark missionaries and send them to the ends of the earth. About, we figure about 5,000 missionary settlements were established over a 120-year period. Phenomenal. Most of these places, they would start 24-7 prayer. They would take, these were marketplace missionaries, not pastors or traditional, like we would think of today. They would take their own trade, you know, and go to serve a community, you know, they're bakers or builders, seamstresses, whatever. And they would serve first and then they begin to gather and that would open the door up for them to share the gospel all over the place of prayer. So pretty phenomenal stories too. We could, you know, I don't know if we have time to talk about those, but like, just, I don't know. And so this becomes <laughs> the first mish Protestant missions movement as well, connected directly to prayer. So I think that's, a, that's the thing we need to hear today. What's going to happen, I think, is you already see this Moravian kind of, you know, canopies of prayer and houses of prayer all over the world. I mean, I think about the 24-7 prayer movement with Pete Gregg and Brian Heasley leads that now, international leader. You know, we just heard from him this last week. They've got 21,000 prayer rooms today, all in that spirit of the Moravians around the world. Uh, they've got a couple thousand digital prayer rooms going now. So this is something that God's doing. You know, it's just one movement mm-hmm. and, hops and so many others, the prayer rooms in Indonesia. But what's going to happen, I think God is preparing the earth and the remaining unreached peoples that don't know Jesus yet. The ground is being prepared and God is going to be launching and thrusting out missionaries, right? Hurling them forth to the nations to share Christ and Him crucified. So that's, and it's beginning already. I, I think we're coming into this season of, you know, this billion soul harvest. I mean, we're at the, the beginning of the beginning, but amen. 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 So good. I love that. Yeah. I, I was not aware that the Moravians were a singing community, or at least that they had such a passion for music and worship. When I was actually doing some reading for my the book that I wrote, mm-hmm. I realized that in their instructions for their for their prayer watch, they actually said something like, if you run out of things to pray for, basically you can sing <laughs> was sort of yeah. the instruction. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically like you can you can begin to just praise the Lord and sing if you don't have anything else to pray for. And so I I didn't realize that singing and music was such a part of their community. Did you say that Zinzendorf wrote songs also? Yeah, wrote a he thousand wrote plus hymns. I had no idea. That's amazing. And they're saturated with again the gospel and the cross and the blood of the lamb. Yeah, phenomenal. He was a prolific hymn writer. Yeah, yeah. I can give you some of those hymns. Some of them are you know, have influenced so much of what we have today, too. And, of course, the Moravians, too, had great influence on all of our future hymn writers, you know, since that time. Wesley's and that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. One of the things you see in church history, and I think this is, you're carrying this a bit, uh, Matthew, your call and y- your family, but I, there really is something that, that happens, I would say, in two ways, where in response to the Spirit of God coming, our response is song and praise and in music, right? It's it's a real mark of the Holy Spirit in and among a community. 
Um, you'll read this in revival history. Spontaneous singing just begins to erupt. Um, and, and I would say moments of spontaneous singing have led then to the outpouring of the Spirit and moments of awakening, moments of revival. So, um, and that's real biblical too, I would say. You know, in Ephesians 5, 18, Colossians 3 speaks to that. that these are ways that we cultivate being filled with the Spirit and evidence of the Spirit in our midst. It's almost always, and that's what was going on, right? As the Spirit was there in, in and among their community with these Moravians, young people, you know, singing to the Lord. Uh, they're, they're all of a sudden now they're writing songs that, that shifted the culture of a generation in their day. So that's what's happening. I get you guys are forerunners in this, I think, uh, in David's tent and with Awaken the Dawn and everything you're doing with, with uh, Presence Pioneers. And I, I think it speaks too to the reality of, of your book and God restoring the tent of David in his last days. So thank you for all you're doing. I'm so with you on this. It's a God yeah. thing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jason. Yeah, it's all connected. The worship, worship, prayer, missions, these things flow together. And uh, they're, they were never meant to be separated. And, and the Moravians are an amazing picture of what that looks like and are now inspiring many of the prayer movements around the world and inspiring us today. So, well, this has been such an awesome conversation. I'm sure there's a lot of other things we could have continued on with, but I think our time's probably running out here. Is is there anything else you'd like to share just to leave our audience with? You know, I don't know if I, we could do this, brother, but I've been so inspired, you know, everything going on with Afghanistan right now, uh, so much mm. persecution around the world. I've been inspired by this song that a guy named Andrew Brunson wrote. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but uh, he was imprisoned in Turkey a few years ago. 11 months into this, he's just desperate, crying out to God, and it gets worse day by day. He's got another court uh, appearance, and they sentence him to three life sentences, like he's not getting out. There's little to no hope. He's in a place of despair. They actually place him in solitary confinement now after 11 months. He's in Turkey, right? And I think this this just speaks to me, I guess. And out of this place of desperation, God, I can't make it. I need you. You know, I need your help. Come. You know, just that place of, of real brokenness. The Lord gives him a song. And he begins to write this song. And then not just write it, but he starts to sing this. And he, his own testimony, he sings this every day. Mm. And, he, and when he's sharing his testimony... He said, this was what strengthened him, gave him joy, gave him perseverance to make it just one day at a time, one step at a time. In the darkest time of his life, it was a song that sustained his spirit and trained his mind and cultivated intimacy with God. It's what you guys are all about. It, 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 the reason I want to show that too is because it's so Moravian. Like It sounds like how Zinzendorf wrote songs. It's got that flavor to it. And I thought, oh God, you know, if we could catch this in the titles, you know, you're worthy of my all. Mm. That's what this all is all about. The absolute worth of Jesus. You know, he's all deserving of all the worship, all the obedience, all the affections of the human race. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. We'll link to the song in the show notes. This has been awesome, Jason. Uh, Is there any way that you'd want to 
encourage people to connect with you or the International Prayer Connect or anything like that? Are you on social media or anything like that where people would want to follow up and stay connected with what you're doing? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, if you just go to our website, ipcprayer.org, just so you know, too, we uh, it's an older version a bit. So we're working on it right now, making it a little more updated. So okay. <laughs> I say that to the young people. I'm like, it's almost embarrassing. But our our uh, web guy's awesome. And so he's redoing our logo and all that kind of stuff. So it'll look a little Good. more youthful. <laughs> but um, yeah, they go to that. And then, of course, we got a Facebook page and an Instagram. And um, so however you want to connect, we'd love to. Once you get on that website, there's a place to get on our e-newsletter. And that provides prayer points from all these different regions around the world, prayer initiatives. We just highlighted your book, Matthew, and we're going to do that again this month. So just a good resource for the global prayer community. And again, we're not trying to lead anything, but just want to serve what's happening out there and, and pray for you guys. So, yeah. yeah. Awesome. We'll, we'll link to that as well in the, in the description here so people can, can stay connected with you guys. Awesome. Thank you, Jason. This has been amazing. All right. Love you, brother. Thanks. Wow. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. If you enjoyed it, would you please share it with somebody, post it on social media, let people know about this resource to encourage them and strengthen them. If you're not yet following or subscribing, please hit subscribe or follow in your podcast app or on YouTube. Again, you can always go to our website at presencepioneers.org and subscribe via email there as well. If you're on YouTube, could you give us that little thumbs up? Maybe leave us a comment. If you're tuning in on Apple, which I know most of you are, the Apple Podcast app, could you leave us a rating or a review? All of that helps get credibility to our podcast and reach more people with the good news that God's presence changes everything. Thanks, guys.